released on Sunday, May 31st, 2015. This Agile Life, episode 86. Twist statement? The software industry transforms more and more every day. Agile methods are quickly replacing traditional ones. The question is, are you agile enough? This podcast is devoted to agile and lean software development. Time to welcome your agile coaches on This Agile Life. Hello, everyone. I'm the host of This Agile Life, John Sextro. Joining me on this episode, we have two wonderful guests. First up, Craig Buchak. Hello, everyone. How are you guys doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Pretty good. Fantastic. That guy over there, our second host, our, actually our third host in the center square, Amos King. How you doing, John? I feel like I should have a lot more people in my room. It's really weird going from like 150 people in the room to me. Yeah, that's a big difference. <laughs> Are you adjusting okay? I, I think I'll make it. It's nice having all the energy from all of the people, the good people at the Agile Games 2015 up in Boston. It was really nice. Well, now we just have to energize each other. And we will endeavor to do so. Tonight we're going to discuss teams, centralized teams of Agile coaches. This was something that Craig brought to our attention. He found something from a guy that you guys may remember, Luis Goncalves. We were supposed to speak with Luis about a retrospective book that he wrote with Ben Linders, and we had Ben on the show uh, about, I don't know, six or eight months ago. And, and Luis was sick. Luis was sick. Sorry, yeah. Luis, you missed out. But now we're talking about this thing. And Craig, why don't you uh, summarize for our listening audience the discussion, and we'll, we'll go from there. Well, to me, the, it wasn't a very long article at all, uh, but the tweet size takeaway to me was if you have a, um, if you're in a large, large organization and you have um, a separate team where the agile coaches come from and they're sort of shared amongst your teams, your, your development teams, you will, you, your, your developers and QA folks and the other people on the development teams will assume that the coaches will do the uh, improvement, the continuous improvement for you. And so since there's a specialist to do that, the team members actually don't bother to do it themselves. Sweet. Are you telling me that I don't have to try to do anything to improve anymore? Somebody else will improve me from the outside? If you have a coach, yes. That's fantastic. I need to hire one of those. <laughs> Maybe I can get Tice to do it. Just to be clear, this is the assertion from some Twitter traffic that, that uh, Luis interacted with, I guess, about a year ago. So that's an assertion. And now we're going to discuss it because I certainly don't entirely agree with the sentiment in that tweet-sized explanation. I, I think the first takeaway from the article or the first, uh, the first hypothesis from the article was that a centralized team of agile coaches is a barrier to organizational learning. And Craig, is that where you, is that in your summary, how you were describing the fact that teams become dependent on coaches to inspire or initiate improvement on teams? I think one of the problems is when you get a, a large organization like that, you're going to run into sort of those kinds of problems no matter what, right? I don't know. I don't, 
I don't necessarily agree, but I want to hear your opinion on it. Let him go, Amos. Let's hear what Craig I was just going to ask for a clarification, but go ahead. Go ahead. I don't understand a central team of coaches. So is that like a team of coaches that then like goes out and helps the other teams? Yeah. So So it sounds like they're not dedicated to a team. That makes me not understand the assertion of everyone being uh, dependent on them. Because right, right. Usually, usually when you have a limited amount of time that you, as a coach, I would, I would guess, is that when you have that limited amount of time to spend with each team, it's really hard for a team to become dependent on you. Either that, or they're being really unself motivated when you're not around. All right, let me let me read verbatim from here. So this has a huge impact on the organization. According to him, this creates a clear statement that coaches are the only ones responsible for improvement. Other people outside of a team will not make any efforts to improve anything because it is simply not their job. This will create a culture where a continuous improvement job belongs just to a few pre-selected people who work in that particular team. Yeah, so that's what's written there, but I want you to tell me why you think that that's the case. Um, because people are lazy, and if they think someone is going to do something for you, then why would I do it myself? What, but what is it that you think that the coaches are, in this case, the coaches are going to be doing for the teams? Like, do you think that the coach is somehow lifting the team up and saying, make these improvements? I think when the coach is viewed as an outsider, I think it doesn't integrate the, the continuous improvement idea into the team. I. I, I can I can jump on board with with feeling that way, right? Why is that, Amos? It's like uh, an accounting department, right? There's an accounting department um, at a lot of places where I work, but I don't assume that I'm going to go have them develop, and I'm also not going to do any accounting. I don't I don't think that has anything at all. I don't see where the corollary is. You're going to have that to seem like a good analogy. You're going well, to you're gonna have to do a better explanation. About- I have, there's a separate accounting team. There's a separate development team. There's a separate coaching team that is in charge of improvement. I could very easily see how people could feel that way. But there's nothing that says anywhere that, so an accounting department has, has a strict responsibility to handle the accounting. There's nothing that says that a, a centralized body of agile coaches that are then farmed out across a number of teams have been in any way uh, deputized to be the ones that go about, go around and change teams. It's, and go in there and say, you, you, this team, this is how you continuously improve. I think the fact that they're a separate department implies that they're not a separate department. At least people infer that a separate team. They're not a separate team. Even they're a centralized collection of people that are, what does centralized mean? They call it a team in there. That's why I'm confused. I guess. Yeah. Okay. There are, there are, so in, in a lot of organizations, you have developers and they live in, a, they live in one swim lane of a, ma- of a matrixed organization. You may have quality engineers that live in another swim lane of an organization. You may have agile coaches that live in a, another swim lane of an organization. And those swim lanes may all have their own HR managers. But all of those people in that matrixed organization are uh, organized into functional teams that do work. So just because there's a centralized group, like I worked in a centralized group of coaches where we had a manager and we met and talked about agile related things, talked about best practices and how we could do things to 
uh, help the organization transform and and work along those lines. But at the end of the day, we we were we were functioning across like one or two, sometimes three teams to help them do their daily activity and work with them just like a developer was working in a team and just like a quality engineer was working in a team. It just so happened that that the agile coach was spanning one, two, or three teams. All right. And at the end of the day, where did you go? Where did you sit at the end of the day to work with, on email? With the teams. I, you did I sit with one of the teams. I think that I, I think this I think this anti-pattern here is sort of the opposite where they so he actually goes on to say if you belong to a central group, you cannot focus on one single team. There's simply too much stuff to do. In the end, you cannot help everyone. Right. Therefore, uh, they shouldn't become dependent on me. And that's actually, I think, the, the auspices for having uh, coaches that float across a number of teams is so that nobody becomes necessarily dependent on them. I actually think that embedding like a scrum master into a team creates much more where the scrum master is, has one team full time all the time creates much more dependence than having someone that is there sporadically or in a, in a shared activity. I think logically I agree with you, John. And I've that, that people it's no logically, it seems like people should get more dependent if someone's there all the time. Right. Than if people aren't there all the time. But I'm currently working with an organization that has something that I would say is the same thing, where they have a central group of people who are supposed to uh, promote and take agile practices out to the teams and try to help those teams grow. But then they are kind of who everyone looks for, for innovations or how to do agile and Nobody's trying to make their own changes. They just wait for someone to tell them, oh, here's the next thing that you guys should try. Sure. I mean, there's really bad ways to execute these things. And if you're, if you're executing them poorly where you're, you're telling a team, oh, you can't do anything. You can't organize yourselves towards self-improvement. You need to wait until an agile coach stops by and tells you how to improve then. Well, they're, they're not telling them that, but the teams just automatically gravitate towards that idea because there is a dedicated group of people that get together and have meetings about that. And they know that that's what those meetings are about. Think about a team that you have a scrum master or a coach and the scrum master or coach runs the standup. And when that scrum master isn't around and it's time for standup, does stand-up happen or does stand-up not happen? I've seen places where it doesn't happen because I guess they haven't bought into even self-organizing, much less continuous improvement. And I think you're describing a different problem that doesn't have necessarily anything to do with a centralized group of, or a, a centralized organi- group of coaches that are smeared across a number of teams. You're talking about a particular anti-pattern where someone is is leading and always kind of running uh, a team just because you have a centralized group of coaches doesn't mean that they've been in any way sort of blessed to be the ones that run things on a team. Well, I think that's what this is implying though. Okay. Sorry. (laughs) I don't give a care. That's, that's not the way uh, things would operate with a group of centralized coaches. No one would take a group of centralized coaches and tell them, you need to go out and run these teams. 
And no, I, and no, I, no, 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 no. It's not. No. It's not that. It's it's the people. It's the teams, the members themselves that are seeing it that way. As a coach, you might not even see it, but as a team member, you might see it. And and that's what I agree with. I think that I don't think that this is an on purpose thing. I think this is something that has a tendency to happen. And so does having that centralized coaching team ha- help cause that? And I think it does. What is it about a centralized team of coaches that makes that happen more than if, if it was decentralized? Let's, let's compare and contrast these two things and say, take a centralized team where a coach is responsible for working with one, two, or three other teams as opposed to a dedicated approach where there's an agilist that uh, has been embedded and told that, you know, part of their responsibility is to help keep the team on the rails with their agile, their agile practice, their agile processes, their agility. The reason why is because you know that those coaches get together, or at least you're told that they get together because they are a team. Once they're called a team, you assume that they get together and they discuss these things. So you assume that their job is to come to you with the practices and things that come out of the discussions with all of the coaches. I think you're making um, a very big I've seen assumption. it happen. I've seen it happening. I, and I, I get unfortunately, that. I think in a large organization where you end up with this, there's often already that kind of feel about things of I don't work on their project. They don't work on mine. Okay, so let me ask you what. Tell me about the organization you worked in with a, a shared group of agile coaches like this. What do you want to know about them? I mean, you just, that's a very broad question. Tell me your experience at a place where there was a group called the Agile Coaches Team Okay, that, that you had to deal with. That wasn't their name, but okay. Um, what was I, it called? I know I'm not saying. Why? It'll, because, because I want to respect that company's privacy. All right. But they have a team and it is the they don't call them agile coaches team. They have another name for it, but it's a team of people who are supposed to be um, championing, championing agile across the company and helping each team. They have a person from from each team being on there. They're not they're not coaches who are bouncing between teams at this company. And. Not everyone on every team sits back and says, I can't do anything without them. But people do start saying, huh, look, they are out there working on this. Maybe we should go to them first. Maybe we need to ask their permission to make this change. Or maybe we should sit back. And I've watched the teams naturally move into that sort of thing because of the understanding that this group gets together and talks about things. They document things they work on trying to figure out ways to improve the teams and helping the teams out and getting the teams to improve themselves. But they don't always, it's hard to overcome that fact that you know that they are out there and they're out there trying to like, it's part of their job to try to improve the teams. So people say, Oh, we'll just keep doing what they told us to do because maybe we aren't at that level yet. And they're all helping each other. So they are a body of knowledge together that is probably greater than me. How does that differ from um, a situation where a company would use a set of third-party retrospective facilitators to come in and explicitly help teams with continuous improvement? It is the responsibility of the the third-party person to coordinate 
and facilitate retrospectives? Uh, I would say not a lot. Um, you don't think there's any similarity? No, I do. No, no, that's not what I just said. Oh. I said there, you asked what there was different, and I said not a lot. Oh. I, I absolutely. Whenever a third party comes in and a company says they're here to help you improve, there are a lot of people who sit back and get quiet and wait to hear what you have to say and will follow what you say nearly blindly. Now, as a retrospective facilitator or a good coach, you need to try to overcome that, but it doesn't mean it's not harder to overcome than somebody internal to the team doing that. So I had a team where we had a coach and a facilitator. Um, the facilitator was, was an outsider, a uh, different department, and she was really good at uh, not telling us what to do, right? Um, I mean, she was the, the best facilitator because of that fact. You know, she didn't usually have an agenda or um, a direction to point us towards. She helped us find our own direction. And that's, that's sort of the ideal facilitator, um, especially if you want all the team members working on continuous improvement. So that sounds like then it could be a problem with execution and less of a problem with organization. I think it's a, I think it's a, right. an appearance thing more than an actual thing. And, and especially in uh, hierarchical organizations, it makes a big difference whenever you do that. If they're, the whole organization is already set up to be hierarchical and then you have a team of coaches, it already puts them on a pedestal. I, I see it as more of the, 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 the project management office transforming into a, an agile coaches team. and then. I suspect that's what this started with, and they still do a lot of project management that instead of letting the teams be self-organizing, and so it leads to these other issues. Well, and I've also seen these central teams, since they get together and have these meetings about how to improve and what practices and, and try to discuss things that are across the teams, because if you do have a central team, they usually meet together. And when they start having those meetings, then management even outside of them starts coming in and saying, hey, why don't you guys just document all this and we'll send out a document to every team and tell them exactly how they need to act. Ah. And that is happening in these teams that I've worked with. And it's hard to overcome that in an organization that's already set up that way. And yes, part of it is execution of it. But I think the execution of it happens partially because of the way that you organize, just like Conway's law says, you know, the communication lines of your organization, that's what your software architecture will start to look like. And I think that same thing happens whenever you do when you separate your organization out into teams like this and give them specific purposes like the agile coaching team is that your organization starts to mimic these like the arbitrary team lines that are set up, that's the communication lines that start to open up. And now everybody's like, Oh, the agile coaches are the ones you go to for this. Yeah. So I've seen a document where (laughs) it came out of a group like that, that said, this is how you have to do agile. I was like, um, that's kind of the opposite of agile. When you say, this is how you have to found it very odd. I've also seen ones that don't say this is how you have to do it, but like, hey, here's some starting point ideas. But really what everybody does is they say, oh, this is exactly how you do it. And if you can't not doing it like this, you're wrong. 
from in from inside the teams and every once in a while from a couple of the coaches, even though they know better. Have you guys ever participated in one of these centralized group of coaches? Yes. And what was yeah. that experience like for you guys? Uh, I asked a lot of questions to start with. <laughs> Did, was it was it uh, similar to the way it was described here, Craig, in that there was there was dependence built on on the coaching organization? Not not probably to the extent that this is expressing it. What was the difference? The one I'm thinking of is probably a smaller. Well, it's a smaller group and it's not quite, it, it wasn't, it's not as official of a team. It's sort of a members from other teams getting together and, and discussing agile. Um, so not quite as strong of a, as a problem as, as this one. But it, in that but same it, organization, I, I worked there with, with you and there was a, an idea that most of the things that you would try, you would get from the person going to those meetings. And yeah, it, which is sort of a problem because that meeting also could be just people that are interested in improvement. Right. Right. Since it's, since that team is actually self-organizing, it ends up being the case that the people that are interested go to it. So that's sort of a chicken and egg problem. Is it, is it the people that are interested go? The people that have the ideas go, or do the ideas come from the people that go? And once one person from a team is going, does anybody else feel empowered to also go? Probably not. Do they, do they really need to go to the organized meetings to make improvements on a team? No, but I think that they feel like they need to talk to that person who's going to those organized meetings before they decide to make a change. I did see a couple. There were probably only two people I could think of that didn't go to the meetings and did make an effort at self-improvement. So shouldn't the team speak with the whole team that a member of the, if a member of the team has an idea, they want to speak with the entire team. They want to bring it up as a collective with the collective to say, I've noticed this and I have this idea and I want to propose that we maybe change the team in this way. So you, you bring it up to the entire team, right? Is that, are you saying that the person to the, to the development team? Yeah, to the to the team of people on the, on the pro, on the project. Are you saying that people on the project feel like they are responsible for going back to a coach or a third party retrospective facilitator and asking them if asking them for permission? Yes, I think they don't generally come up with ideas on on improvement or think it's like this article says they don't think it's their idea. Ideas for improvement come from the others. All right. So let's talk about that are going to that meeting. So let's talk about the, the inverse of this situation where you have, you have no centralized body yet. You have people on the team that have been designated as, um, as what the, how, how would you describe the alternative to this? Self-organizing. I don't want to necessarily put, words on it right but when uh so for instance like what maybe you guys have done before where you're you're coming in to provide development to to work as a developer on a team but also to provide agile guidance Mm -hmm. how would you how would you contrast those two situations then 
I, I think my ideal is, is the team in, that Amos and I had worked on together that, that is basically our dream team, the, the team that we want to rebuild, basically, and we know we can't. We're, we'll always be striving for that team again. Chasing the dragon. Yeah. So, wait, <laughs> even, that even if, wait, doesn't chasing the dragon mean like opium. hooked on heroin or something? <laughs> exactly. You never, okay. get, you never get back to that one high. Oh, okay. If we even if we had those same people, I don't think the team would right. be the same. Any, anyway, but the point of that 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 team got to the point where everyone was a leader on the team, and there wasn't. I don't. We never really had a coach, except for we had an agile facilitator. But I don't think that team ever really had an agile coach. You know, we we had a culture of self improvement. We coached each other. Everybody on that yeah, team coached right. each other. That's ideal. I mean, that's a, that's a great situation. But what I'm asking is like. In, in the situation that you guys are in today or have been in recently and what you've espoused here before saying that you prefer the approach where you're an agilist embedded with a team rather than being a coach as part of the centralized group. I want, I want you to help me understand where the differences are and how the behavior so, of the team is different. So at like, that point, we're teaching them to, we're trying to work ourselves out of that job, right? We're trying to teach them that they can do this themselves, that they can do the self-improvement. And, and we're, we we're just one of them. We don't need, we don't need a coach. We just need to, to work this. And, <laughs> it's hard to say we, we need to work this way because I don't want to be prescriptive. And really, um, we show them that by sitting alongside of them, doing the same things that they're doing every day. You lead by example? A coach, a coach is not doing that. So it's a lead by example sort of thing. I, I think so. And the fact that if you're developing or, or designing and and coaching at the same time, if you're sitting down with those people doing the same jobs that they're doing there, there's a trust that's built there that I think is very different than for somebody coming in and um, doing a traditional coaching role. And I don't mean like telling you what to do by coaching, but even just trying to like guide you lightly with little taps there, there's, like a different level of trust and a different level of understanding. And it's easy to say when you're a developer or a designer or a QA that you're not doing my job. You don't know what you're talking about. I think when you sit there and do the actual work, you see different areas for improvement than if you're just a coach that kind of is viewing from a, an angle. And how does that help? Uh, I think Amos's idea of trust is one thing, but I, I think the other point that this article is trying to make is that there's a, a an expectation. I think you're setting two different expectations. When the person is embedded, that the expectation is this: this is how the team members should work. Whereas when there's someone from the outside, it's thought of as well, that's some advice from outside. That's where advice comes from, or that's where ideas come from. And well, and whenever you're sitting alongside of them, it's easier to feel like you win or fail together, and and a lot simpler to teach that whole team mentality of everything is everybody's responsibility. Whenever you are being part of that responsibility, and once you teach that whole team approach. In that whole team attitude, then everyone feels empowered to make change. So, can I can I ask a question, John? Oh yeah, sure. You're 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 currently a member of a a centralized team, right? 
No. Of, of coaches? I am not. Okay. He's a practitioner right now. Oh, cool. Yay. I am a player oh. coach. I, yeah, I, use, I use the term right player kind of, coach. Right kind of coach. Um, have you been a, a one in an organization that did have that yes. team of coaches? Yes. Um, what I guess my, my vision of Agile is kind of adapting and, and evolving, and I've kind of seen continuous improvement is really the, the main point of it these days. And I think that when you're coaching a team and you've got all these different things going on. Well, we need to pair, we need to, you know, um, code reviews. We need to do TDD. We need to do this and this and this. I think that people sometimes think that there's a lot of different goals and they're not really sure what the goal is. They're just sort of doing what they're told, not understanding what the goal is. And I think if we maybe focus more on just one goal of continuous improvement, and made that clear to the team members, I think that might improve this situation. But as it is, I think there's just too many things going on and it's not clear where, where we're headed. I'm sorry, I thought you were going to ask me a question. <laughs> you did say I have a question, didn't you? Uh, well, I think... It's a quiz statement. Uh, that might be the uh, title of the show (laughs) i think the question was what what's your focus or what are you trying to teach what are you trying to coach them to do i'm not actually trying to coach them to necessarily do anything that i don't i don't have an agenda i haven't been in the organizations i've been a part of i haven't necessarily been given an agenda that says do this thing and do that thing with the team, help the team change in that way or help, help a team change in that way. The role that I played would be to facilitate retrospectives, to um, be a sounding board for members of the team when they have ideas or when they have questions or if they hit a wall and they have, maybe they're having trouble with um, how they're doing TDD or they're having trouble with, I don't know, some, some other aspect of of how they're operating as a team that they would know that there's, there's somebody that they can come to and, and bounce ideas off of, but not that that person was going to solve problems for them, that that person was really going to be a a, a kind of a sounding board. A resource. Oh, wait, (laughs) (laughs) definitely not. No, a resource you can go to. It's the good, it's the one good use of the word. I don't think that we're sitting here and saying that, if you have a centralized team of coaches, this is what's going to happen and you're going to fail. I think that you can have good centralized team of coaches, but I believe that it, it prints itself in a certain way that leans towards people leaning on them. Just like I, I thought of this because you just said resources, just like calling people resources. When you start calling people resources, there is a tendency for you to start treating them in a certain way without meaning to. Once you have a centralized team of coaches, I believe that there is a tendency to start treating them as the go to people for making change. And it's no longer your own responsibility. Yeah, I I'm think not it's saying it's to watch right. out for. Yes, I'm not saying it's always centralized team. Watch out for this particular possibility of sort of an anti-pattern. 
And because you have a centralized team, I think you have to fight this possibility more than you do in other instances. Yeah. Um, I, I, that's why initially in, in this, so I think I, I think you said something similar to what I said earlier, Amos, in that it's not necessarily how we're organized. Although what you, your caveat was that centralization maybe has an increased tendency to having a poor execution. And what my statement was, is that overall you can have poor execution. You can have poor execution with a centralized group. Or you can have poor execution uh, with people that are embedded. And your, your caveat, though, just again, was that you think that there's more of a tendency of the poor execution to come from the centralized group. Yes, and I don't even think it's necessarily the coaches in that group's problem. They could be fantastic coaches who normally would do a fantastic job, but there's a pressure from the teams themselves because of the way you're organized feeling like, so you have to overcome that pressure. So there's, this very Zen issue going on. If you're a, a good coach, you're going to push people in good directions, right? I'm not going to push anybody. What is a coach? <laughs> Again, resources. <laughs> so, okay. Let's say you're a coach on a baseball team. Your job is to your your job is to make that team win more than another coach would, right? Yes. So you're you're going to have to do something to make that the case. Yeah, and that's I don't I actually think when you when you compare I I think there's a problem with the term coach probably if you draw a corollary to sports. I've tried to do this before with correlating uh, baseball teams and sports teams to the coaching role, the coaching role on sports teams to the coaching role in business. And I really think that they're, uh, they're not, there's, right, there's not right. a relationship. I'll, I'll, I'll retract the analogy then. All right. <laughs> okay. uh, he, here's, here's what I'm going to say. There's a reason you're being paid to coach a team. And that reason is probably that there is a financial benefit. Otherwise you probably wouldn't get paid to do it. You with me on the premise so far? Oh yeah. Yeah. So, so there has to be some financial benefit of you being a coach on a team. You have to be doing something to earn your keep, I, I would assume. Right. It seems like when you're, it, it would seem that you're most effective by doing less is kind of where we're all getting at. I think you're effective when you're sneaky. <laughs> <laughs> when, you're, when you're sneaky and you, because a coach is uh, the best, the best coaches are the ones that, fade into the background. It is the, it is the role of every good coach to aspire to put themselves out of a job. And it's much I, easier I, to do that when you're a practitioner because you've think, already partially faded into the background by yeah. being in part of the team entirely. You faded into shit. You're dead center. <sighs> you are real, dead center. The real point of a coach though is to have everyone do better, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. If you don't tell them how to do better, then how do they do better? That's my struggle here with this conversation. You ask questions and you make it, you make it clear to the team that it's not, your it's not your responsibility as the coach to make them do anything. But, but that's what you're getting paid for. Right. That's the part where you're sneaky. That's, that, the, part where, that's the part where good coaches are sneaky because you have to 
you have to appear as you're as though you're doing nothing but you have to be there to help at the most critical times you this have is why to, i don't want to be a coach apparently you have <laughs> you have to ask questions you have to uh it, it's the, it's kind of the sensei it's the model of of the sensei i think it was the book the toyota way that i was reading that first opened my eyes to the fact that there's con- there's there's room for continuous improvement at all levels of execution throughout an entire organization and all of the senior leadership within Toyota get assigned a coach which they call a sensei and that person is a sounding board uh they are there for inspiration but they are mostly there to look at what it is that you've done and ask you questions about that just when you think you've had your proudest moment, a sensei will swoop in and say, did you think about this? Did you think about that? And you might, you might feel two inches tall at that moment when you had just previously felt like a skyscraper. Uh, but that's the, part of a, that's the role of the sensei is to ask those questions and inspire thinking uh, in, and inspire improvement through questioning, not through directing, not by saying, hey, you could have made that presentation to the board a lot better if you had had these slides in your presentation and giving them the information. So just to correlate that back to being a coach, you don't go in and say, you could have been a lot better this day if you had done X, Y, and Z. You know, you might ask the team, hey, did you guys consider doing this today or did you consider using this framework? Did you consider using this? engineering practice and inspire thinking and not telling them to do that. It's cheap. It's, it's the easy way. The easy way is to go to teams and say, do this, that, and the other thing, and then walk away. And then everybody thinks that you're, that's the visibility. That's the visible person that everybody sees directing. And that's, that's where it's sneaky because you go in there and you ask these questions and you look like you're not really doing anything, but that's the hardest part. I think the hardest part when you look like you're not doing anything is staying employed. <laughs> oh, but I do love the, I do love asking questions to I, I guess the, the, the asking questions doesn't necessarily lead in the in a specific direction except improvement, right? So how do you do it? Well, I, I, actually I do I do ask questions a lot. Isn't that what I, you want I, though? You don't want to lead in a specific direction because right, every no. team is different. Right. I said asking questions is a great way to do it. And that's a, a lot of the way I do it too, actually. So how do you do it when you're embedded? How, what's the difference? Is there a difference? I, I don't think there's much difference. If, if you're asking questions as a coach, and I think that's pretty similar to what, what I do as an embedded person, I just might have a few different questions because I'm a little more embedded and I'll see a little, a little bit more of what's going on right. and, and then- know the questions to ask. And I think you're more likely to get honest answers. Why? Because of trust. It's simpler to build trust when you're embedded with the team than whenever you are an outside team. I think that's a sense of other versus a sense of us, us versus them. Yep. I could, I could, uh, I could buy that. I also think that there's, there's less, there's less of a likelihood for somebody who doesn't have the context to inadvertently uh, assert their ideas for how things should work 
because they, they do, and this is the reason why, this is funny because you two have been sort of the biggest uh, proponents of third-party retrospective facilitators on the show. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and what, you're, what you're kind of saying in some ways is that they're not as good because they don't have the context. And, and I still stick with the fact that I think a third-party facilitator is good because they don't have the context and because they're not inserting their, their, their notions of that context on the team. They're allowing the team to have to equally, all of the members of the team to equally influence what it is the team wants to do rather than being there and kind of trying to insert their ideas and, and their priorities in front of others. The facilitator and the coach have different roles that are going after the same outcome, right? I I would rather have the external should matter because I would still can, I'm going to go back to the sports analogy that you said doesn't work, but I think it works in this case that a coach is a member of the team. He gets a, he gets the world series ring. I can tell you that. I, I actually do prefer to have a third party facilitator. Um, to get that impartial, impartial. Yeah. Actually I was looking for a slightly different word. impartiality. Yeah. So the, the third party is going to be impartial and they're going to let you sort of flow the conversation in the way the team wants it flowed instead of having an agenda and trying to, to come up with a specific outcome. Um, even if you're trying not to come up with a specific outcome, if you're if you're on the team, you probably are going to have one in mind that's going to have an influence. So I, I prefer the agile facilitator to be third party, but I prefer the coach to be embedded. Craig and I will also both tell you that the best retrospectives we've ever been a part of have not been facilitated by a third party facilitator. That's when they did have a specific outcome. And and they had an well, outcome a specific in mind. problem. Well, no, they actually they had a very specific problem. Right. And it wasn't actually an outcome in, in mind, actually, if you think about it. We just wanted to stop doing what was broken. If you call that a specific outcome, I guess that could be the case. I, a facilitator's job is to get you to talk amongst yourselves. And I don't think a coaching, the traditional role of coaching is, is done that way. Maybe we should just replace all coaches with retrospective facilitators that are just there all the time. It makes sure you have a, a retro once a week or so. Yeah. Instead of once a month. This week's hottest picks. Up first this week is Craig. All right. Uh, my first pick is the Little Lisper series. Uh, it's a series of books about Lisp and Scheme. And it's got several titles. The original was called The Little Lisper. Then there was The Little Schemer. Then The Reason Schemer. Or, I'm sorry, the seasoned schemer, then the reasoned schemer. Uh, the reasoned schemer is uh, basically a prologue-like uh, scheme uh, add-on. And there's a new book coming out in the series, uh, I think in July, called The Little Prover. And it's about theorem proving in scheme. And uh, so I've been working on some of those uh, books in that series. I own most of them and been working my way through. They're pretty good at teaching Lisp and related topics. And I'm also going to pick the Racket programming language. Uh, Racket is basically what Scheme has turned into. Uh, there was a version of Scheme called PLT Scheme. It's now called Racket. And it's uh, it's pretty pretty cool language. 
um, think about scheme, but then add uh, basically ways to change the syntax of the language. Uh, it's got uh, some cool add-ons like um, a, the documentation system is actually written in a language built-in racket that <laughs> is compiled into racket. It's it's a little confusing, but uh, pretty powerful, pretty cool. The little Lisper series, Craig, is that are those just cute names for very technical books, or or is there like a narrative that goes along with? Uh, the, the ex- exposing the expose of the technology, if you will. Um, so they're written in a very odd way. They're basically code. It, it's like one column on the left is code, and then uh, the column on the right is sort of explaining what the code did. And it basically has you run things and then says, hey, look at what happened and notice this thing or this thing. And and so it's kind of a it's a different way of writing a book, that's for sure. The books are really beautiful. Is it anything in like, like a very simplistic way? Is it anything like the the book that uh, the Ruby the Rails book? I guess it maybe was it a Ruby Ruby book the Why the Lucky Stiffs book? Yes. Uh no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it does have illustrations, but it's not is not nearly as quirky as that. The poignant, wise, poignant guide to Ruby. Yes. <laughs> Which some people will not want to read. They'll get partway through and be like, oh, this is horrible. And then everybody else is like, wow, this is fantastic. What was that? <laughs> All right. Thanks, Craig. My pick this week is something called Shout Key, and it is a temporary URL shortener. And the great thing about it is that it gives you back a English, an English word that you can easily in at like a group, at like an open space, at like a conference, you can tell people, hey, go to shoutkey.com slash English. And you just give people this, this uh, very easy to t- type in word. So if you're working in like an open space and you're, not everybody's on instant messenger or IRC, you can just shout this key out to people and it'll give them this link. How long does it last? It lasts for a, for a short period of time, usually five minutes, but I think you can, you can set it up to be a different amount of time. So it has a very specific use case, such as if you're teaching a class and you want everybody to immediately go to something, but then it will disappear over time, but it makes it very easy for people to enter in a URL and to go what, what you to go to what you want them to see. And this was created by a friend of mine, Chad Etzel, and he recently created uh, an iPhone app for it as well. So uh, check that out. It's shoutkey.com. And of course, I have the link to it in our show notes. And it's five minutes all the way to 24 hours. I just checked. Thanks, Amos. What do you have for your picks this episode? Uh, so I have, um, absolutely no picks that are agile or technology related. Um, so, uh, I, I've been playing the ukulele for nine months or so. Uh, and one of my favorite sites is ukulele underground. Um, they have music theory classes on there. Uh, they do talk a lot about how to make chords in the ukulele, but the music theory classes are basic music theory. Um, can apply to guitar or piano or anything that you want to play. Uh, they also have lots of songs that they have made 
uh, ukulele solos for. So when you're starting out and you don't just want to play scales over and over, they have some songs that you can play along with. Um, my second pick is a TV show. Uh, and Craig will probably laugh at me because I'm always the guy who doesn't have TV, but has a tendency to watch some shows. Um, I watch these on a, a show called Orphan Black on Amazon Prime over lunch um, pretty much every day lately. It is a pretty fantastic show. I don't want to tell too much. Watch the first episode and you'll know what's going on. Uh, and then my last pick is what I've been drinking tonight, which is Revelation Stout from the Public House Brewing Company. And we will have a link to the actual brewing company's website. Um, they have recently started bottling and selling all over Missouri. And I don't know if they're in other states yet. All right. Good picks, Amos. Thank you. All right, everyone. That's all we have time for today. Check us out at our home on the web, thisagilelife.com, for our show notes and for all of our past episodes. Thanks for listening and keep living this agile life. This Agile Life is brought to you by a community of agile developers and coaches aspiring to spread the word about this groundbreaking approach to software development. Join us at thisagilelife.com forward slash. Laughing. Laughing.